Chapter Seven of Pope Adrian the Fourth and Historical Sketch by Richard Raby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. It was most likely on occasion of this embassy that John of Salisbury, although he mentions other visits paid by him to Adrian, held the interesting conversation with the English Pope, which he reports at length in his Polycratius in that work he says he well remembers how during a sojourn at the papal court in beneventum he was treated on the most familiar footing by his holiness whose habit it was to gather round him a few select friends with whom he would freely discuss a variety of topics and how among others he once asked john to state candidly what he knew of the people's opinion touching the roman church and her head whereupon the envoy of henry using the liberty of the spirit told without disguise all that he had heard in various parts on the subject for example that the roman church the mother of all others showed herself according to many not so much a mother as a stepmother to her daughters that scribes and pharisees sat in her who loaded other men's shoulders with burdens which they would not touch even with their fingers that these said scribes and pharisees played the tyrant over the clergy and bore no palpable resemblance to such shepherds as tread the true path of life but that they heaped up rich furniture ornamented their tables with gold and silver plate distracted the church with controversies and by setting the pastors and the people by the ears that they in no manner commiserated the sorrows of the unfortunate but made merry over the plunder of churches and administered justice not according to the truth but the price then that other people said the roman pontiff himself was a tyrant and that while the churches which their ancestors had built were falling to ruin and the altars stood desolate he appeared abroad arrayed in gold and purple but that the divine wrath would eventually overtake such priests as lived in pride and luxury and levied taxes on the provinces like men who meant to equal the wealth of croesus for the lord had said that as they measured out to others so would he measure out to them and the ancient of days could not lie upon hearing this and much more to the same effect the pope asked john of salisbury what he himself thought who replied that the question very much perplexed him as on the one hand he feared to pass for a flatterer if he went contrary to public opinion and on the other to give offence if he spoke the truth nevertheless as cardinal guido clement had bore witness in favour of the people he john of salisbury dared not contradict him for the cardinal had said that the church of rome contained a world of avarice and deceit from which every evil sprung this he had not said in a corner but before all his brethren in presence of pope eugenius and that he john of salisbury would not hesitate to declare that as far as his experience went he had never seen anywhere clergymen of greater virtue or more opposed to avarice than those of rome such was the gravity and modesty of many of them that in those respects they equaled fabricius while in possessing the true faith they had the advantage over him then with regard to the pope himself as his holiness insisted on being plainly spoken to he would say that inasmuch as the holy ghost could not err so whatever his holiness might teach must be followed though what his holiness might do was not always to be imitated 
his holiness was styled father and lord of all but why if he was the father did he require presents from his children and why if he was the lord did he not strike awe into the romans curb their insolence and reclaim them to their duty at all this the pope laughed heartily and expressed himself well pleased at having found a man so honest and plain-spoken adding that if ever he should hear anything further to the same purpose by no means to omit reporting it adrian then proceeded to pass his own conduct in review said many things for and against himself and made reflections on the arduousness of the papal office affirming that no other was so full of cares and that no man was more wretched than a roman pontiff for his throne was set with thorns his mantle pierced with sharp points and so heavy as to weigh the strongest shoulders to the ground much sooner would he prefer never to have left his native english soil or to have remained forever hidden in his cell at st rome's than to have entered such straits but the divine dispensation had called him and he dared not disobey he further said that it had always been the lord's pleasure that he should grow between the hammer and the anvil that now he prayed the lord would be pleased to put his hand under the burden as it was become insupportable the pope then concluded his observations by relating to the company the fable of the belly and the members which the charges laid at his door suggested to him and which john of salisbury gives at length in adrian's words a fable by the way which assuredly has lost none of its point since those times but remains as pregnant with wisdom for the nineteenth as for the twelfth century pope anastasius the fourth had conferred on the knights hospitaliers of jerusalem the privilege of exemption from tithes on their property in consideration of its exclusive destination to the relief of pilgrims and of the poor this privilege soon gave rise to a quarrel between the knights and the clergy of jerusalem who naturally took it ill that so important a source of revenue as the tithes on the possession of the order of st john no doubt constituted should thus be stopped the patriarch reproached the grand master with abusing his privilege and at last grew so embittered that he drew up a charge against him of acts of aggression on the rights of the oriental church for example, that the hospitallers allowed all such persons to attend their church as were excommunicated by the bishops, and did not even refuse such outcasts the holy sacrament and extreme unction when dying, as well as Christian burial when dead, that when, for some great crime, silence was imposed on the churches of a town or district, the knights were always the first to ring their bells and call the people, on whom the interdict was laid, to mass for no other purpose than to get the offerings and fees which otherwise would accrue to the parish church, that the priests of St. John did not, on their ordination, present themselves according to ancient custom before the bishop of the diocese to ask his permission to do duty therein, that the bishop was never advised of the lawful or unlawful suspension of a priest, lastly, that the knights of St. John absolutely refused to pay tithes on their property. 
from these general charges the patriarch next descended to particular ones of affronts to himself for instance that as the hospital of st john stood opposite the church of the holy sepulchre the knights had erected their buildings on a scale of magnificence superior to the latter church purely out of a feeling to insult the patriarch moreover that when the patriarch ascended according to traditional usage the place of our saviour's passion to absolve the people from their sins and preach to them the hospitallers invariably set out their bells a-ringing with such violence as plainly proved that they meant to drown his voice and interrupt him in the performance of his duty that when he had often complained to the citizens of this misconduct and these had expostulated with the perpetrators the latter only replied that they would yet play him worse turns that they had in fact kept their word for they had shot arrows at him in the church itself while celebrating there the divine offices these arrows he the patriarch had caused to be picked up and exposed in a bundle on mount calvary as a memorial with these charges the patriarch attended by other oriental prelates set out for italy to lay his case before the pope after running many perils by reason of the war then going on between the pope and the king of sicily the party at last reached beneventum the trial that took place lasted several days when the result of the pleadings for and against was that adrian became convinced of the hollowness of the accusations laid by the patriarch against the knights of st john and therefore refused to grant the redress sought for namely to annul the patent of privileges conferred by anastasius william of tyre who describes the transaction as a partisan of the patriarch plainly says that the pope took bribes to decide as he did but Paggi denies this flatly and affirms that adrian proceeded in this as well as in every other act of his authority conscientiously and disinterestedly indeed it is rather unfortunate for william of tyre that the three cardinals whom he alone accepts from the charge of bribery two namely octavian and john of st martin afterwards figured as principal actors in the scandalous schism which rent the church after adrian's death the first as frederick barbarossa's antipope under the name of victor the fourth in opposition to alexander the third the lawful pope the second as victor's legate and as chief supporter after his death of anacletus the third whom the emperor next started against alexander peter of blois too in his letter to cardinal papensius describes octavian as having passed his whole life in amassing riches wherewith to disturb the church and as having been but too successful in corrupting a powerful party in the roman curia to his views it had always been a leading concern of the popes to heal the schism between constantinople and rome adrian did his part though fruitlessly towards so great a work shortly after his accession he sent to the emperor constantine legates on the subject who also carried a letter from the pope to basilius bishop of Thessalonica, one of the most influential and well-disposed prelates in that day in the east 
this letter was to request his cooperation in bringing about the reunion of the severed churches basilius made answer that unity might easily be restored as no essential difference of belief existed between the two communions in both of which one and the same doctrine was taught and one and the same lamb namely christ offered up for the sins of the world though without doubt some minor discrepancies existed between the two whose removal however belonged wholly to the pope who as he had the will had also the power no less than our saviour himself to unite into one what stood now so widely separated basilius would thus seem to have been of opinion that he was in no wise cut off from the catholic church notwithstanding the oriental might differ in certain rites from the western church it was an old and gross abuse of the age that the nobles asserted the right to seize the effects of a bishop on his death this abuse did not escape severe censure from several synods but pope adrian it was who condemned it the most effectually by his bull to berengarius archbishop of narbonne a d eleven fifty six on occasion of ermengarda viscountess of narbonne renouncing the abuse in favour of that prelate which renunciation the papal bull was issued to confirm in the year eleven fifty raymond count of barcelona made a similar renunciation by charter when about to go on a distant and perilous journey in it he says i hereby promise to god to abolish the detestable custom which has hitherto prevailed in my states to wit the custom whereby my bailiffs plundered the goods of a bishop when he died a proceeding which i own to be contrary to divine and human laws wherefore i renounce the said custom and order that for the future if anything be found in the house or grounds of a bishop deceased it shall be reserved for his successor End of chapter seven